Well, thank you, brother, and good morning, church. If you are joining us uh, this morning, I just want to say we are thrilled to have you as a, as a guest, especially folks with SAFE. Thank you guys for coming and for your ministry among us. And uh, I want to encourage you, uh, if you missed uh, ABF here, uh, on your way out on the left, some dear brothers and sisters who are fighting trafficking, and uh, we, want to, we want to join them. So talk to them, uh, sign up to come out on, the, on, the, uh, on, on Friday the 13th. Uh, here in a, in a week and a half or so, uh, to come and learn how you can better be a part of ending and destroying the, the wickedness of trafficking in, in, our, in our county. And one of the things that just struck me during our uh, ABF time together is a lot of it starts right now in our hearts, that we would ourselves give no quarter to the sin of lust or pornography, that we would be quick to repent, quick to repent. Um, you know, the theme this morning uh, it is not necessarily an exciting one. Uh, I mean, we, we, we had a, a winner, right? ABF, I mean, talking about trafficking, right? That's a lure, a draw. I mean, I'm glad you guys have a dinner for the thing on the 13th. When you said um, date night, I wasn't sure my wife would, that would qualify, that I'd get a pat, that I'd, I'd get credit for, for that. But she's coming and my daughter's coming. We're signed up. But you know, this morning we're going to talk about discipline during this message. Uh, that's not exactly a, an exciting topic either, right? And, and why are we talking about this? Well, because we're working through Hebrews. And we believe that we're going to just unpack as best we can what God says as we walk through His Word, and we're not going to skip or fast forward past anything. So discipline is not pleasant, but God uses it. And you know, suffering, the whole topic of suffering may not be pleasant, but it's common to humanity. All people suffer. And it doesn't matter if you are poor or if you are rich, whether you're, whether you're born in Afghanistan or in America, you suffer. It's, it's just part of life experience, right? I mean, people who are wealthy get cancer and, and COVID. And maybe they have more medical uh, opportunities for them than, than some of the poor do, but we suffer. You could be an American billionaire entrepreneurial tycoon and lose a child in, in a marriage. You could be a, a millionaire movie star who has accomplished what, what the world looks at as greatness. I mean, people praise your name, and yet in the media, people mock the, the train wreck of a marriage that you have, right? I mean, who's your friend? Who's your enemy? So just success isn't going to insulate you from suffering. In fact, it might bring more on. Most people in our culture struggle to find hope in suffering. And, and, and part of that reason, I think, is that hedonism has become our God and, and materialism. And so we chase after pleasure and stuff, and, and suffering just is a wall that you just hit all of a sudden going 100 miles an hour. Well, the Bible teaches that there is actual a pur there's an actual purpose and meaning for suffering in the life of the Christian. You see, we Christians have an apologetic for suffering, and that is that God sovereignly uses it in our lives for our spiritual development and even for our discipline. One scholar of the New Testament put it this way, Christian suffering is rightly, only, uh, is rightly understood only when seen as God's fatherly discipline, correcting and directing us. Suffering is evidence 
Not that God does not love us, but that he does. Believers are sons and treated as sons. And that's really just a great summary of this whole message here, this whole passage that we just read that we're going to unpack together. And I've got three points. You're welcome to follow those. Uh, they're in the, in, the, in the listening guide in your, in your notes or in the, in the bulletin. Um, and, and some sub points. We're going to spend most of our time on this first point, uh, but we are going to try to land the plane with, with how we should react to suffering. But the first point is that God disciplines his children. That's, that's what we see here in this text, verses 5 through 10. And the, the writer of Hebrews goes back to the Old Testament to make this point and quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, in verses 5 and 6. And he writes, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Do you believe that this morning? Well, four points I'd like to make, uh, we could call them sub-points, about the discipline of God. The first is that God's discipline is fatherly. His discipline is that of a father's discipline. It is fatherly. And what this means is that God is not abusive. I realize pastorally, going through a, a subject matter such as discipline, uh, there could be pain in this room. Some of you may have had an abusive father. And so when you hear the word discipline, your, your, your heart just kind of drops, right? Well, God's discipline is that of a right father. It is not abusive. He doesn't smash his children through his discipline. We're going to see that more as we unpack this. But Pastor Kent Hughes wrote, God's discipline of his children never involves his wrath. Did you get that? I think sometimes we confuse. We blend things together. We think God's mad at me and now he's punishing me because of his anger. Well, guess what? That was satisfied for the Christian on, on the cross. God's wrath is just. And that's why we, we've got the gospel. And it's, it is absolutely necessary that everybody has a chance in their lifetime to hear the gospel and to be saved from the righteous wrath of God, which is what we all deserve. Because our sin is ugly. We, we heard a little bit about that this morning during ABF, but our sin is ugly. And, it is, and God sees it for what it is. It is ugly in his sight. And he is rightly wrathful against sin. But if you are in Christ, if you have repented of your sins and, and, and put your faith in Jesus, okay, you are, you are under the cross. You, you got, you got a, a hero standing in front of you, deflecting, taking the wrath of God. That's what he did. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took it. As Pastor Bill uh, Elderberry, uh, uh, as, he, as he quoted to us, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. He, he took our sin on himself for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. So if you're in, in Christ, though you are not perfect, though you are a sinner still as a Christian, you are, you are covered. You are dressed in his righteousness. Does that make sense? So when God deals with you as a father, as a heavenly father, it's not his wrath 
So back to, sorry, I wasn't planning to say all that. Back to Kent Hughes' quote. God's discipline of his children never involves his wrath. Every reference in the New Testament on the subject indicates that God's wrath rests upon and is reserved for the unbelieving. God has no such thoughts towards his own, no thoughts of calamity. Old Testament scholar Theodore Leitch writes, his plans concerning his people are always thought of good, of blessing, even if he is obliged to use the rod. It is the rod not of wrath, but the Father's rod of chastisement for their temporal and eternal welfare. God does discipline his children. And we're going to see in a moment here, if you're his child, you will experience his discipline. In fact, we should be thankful for it. But God disciplines us as a perfect father. You know, I remember as a kid being disciplined by my father. In our house, um, uh, this may be different in some of your experiences, but, but in our house, I was actually secretly relieved when my mom would say something like, Troy, when your father comes home, he's going to spank you. And here's the reason. It meant that he was going to be spanking me and not my mother. All right, now, I have a loving mother. I, I love her dearly. She's an awesome mother. I, 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 will, I give her cards on Mother's Day and flowers. I love her dearly, okay? But she took her pound of flesh out of us, all right? I mean, she believed in the rod of instruction. Sometimes you had to go into the kitchen and choose your instrument, okay? And, and there were several options, but they were wooden. One of them, which, which I never chose, but sometimes she did, was a paddle that had a hole in it. It was some kind of a cooking instrument, but she wanted bare flesh, okay? And we're talking about young kids here, but uh, it was your bottom. Uh, no dignity. Uh, uh, your, your drawers were down, and you were, you were getting it, all right? And this wasn't just three lashes. This was... It was a spanking machine for a minute or two until your cries and yelps demonstrated appropriate repentance in her mind. And so I would hide them, the, 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 the paddle with a hole in it. Somehow they kept replenishing, but I did my best to get rid of those as a young child. Um, I was too honest of a kid. She'd walk in the room and just say, Troy, come out from under the bed. And I was dumb enough just to come right out from underneath the bed. So I was relieved when it was dad. Because dad understood his strength and and my weakness. And he left me the dignity, at least of my underwear, I have to say. And it was his belt, but it was measured. And it was with the spirit of love. And afterwards, he held me in his strong arms and and comforted me when it was over. And and I I knew that this was something that caused him pain inside his heart. And I didn't like the pain that it caused me. And I'll say this, uh, parents, um, moms especially, um, I would encourage you not to use the the, the phraseology such as, now now, son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Your your kids are just smarter than that, okay? They know better. This is not hurting them more than you. Well, my dad never said that, but I, I knew that he was looking forward to this being over as I was. But you know what? While I didn't like the pain, I appreciated the guardrails. I did. I was glad that there was such thing as right and wrong and, and justice 
and, and even rules that were enforced because I knew where the safe space was. And when I, when I ventured from it, from that, that protection that was over me, I knew that he was bringing me back. But I especially loved his comfort. He, he really spent time just holding me, comforting me, praying for me. And I knew that I belonged to him. That's what verse 7 here says. And the ESV, verse 7, is a little bit hard to maybe decipher because it's kind of a wooden translation, but it says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. So that first sentence, I read that over and over and over again this last week and kind of thought, what what does this mean? It is for discipline that you have to endure. It just seems a little bit wooden, right? The NIV translates it, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. And that's certainly easier to read. And I think it has a right application that, yes, we need to endure hardship in our lives and recognize that it is discipline. But, you know, when I went back and I I carefully looked at the Greek here, the original language and the syntax, I I, I realized that even the NIV's translation was missing something. Okay, for the ease of understanding, they kind of glossed over something here. So actually, uh, the literal translation in English would be, if you endure discipline, God is treating you as sons. And so implied there is that there is an aspect of receiving the discipline of God that proves that we are truly his children, right? So prove that you are God's child by enduring rather than running away from his discipline. Because his discipline is fatherly. Well, second, his his discipline is confirming. It actually confirms that we are his children. Remember that when you are experiencing the discipline of the Lord, that confirms belonging, that you belong to him. One scholar put it this way, God disciplines people he loves, not those he is indifferent to. Verse 7 says, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And in the Roman and the Greek world, in that culture, uh, where, where, this, where this Hebrew church lived, right? Virtually all fathers disciplined their sons, but sadly in that culture, a lot of men had children out of wedlock, right? And so there's this word used here in Greek, it's nathos, nathos, that's translated illegitimate. And I read that, it's just, that's kind of painful actually. Um, But what that refers to is a child born of a slave or a concubine, a child that would not be considered to be an heir, a a a child not considered a member of the family. And I love the fact that a number of you have brought children into your families um, by choice to to say, these are God's children, we're going to raise them to know him right? To make him known in this world. But there were a number of illegitimate children who were considered nathos, 
in the, in the Greek and in the Roman world. And in that context, a, a Roman father would feel no obligation to discipline that child. But a father who, who lets his kid run wild doesn't really love his child because that, that will lead to disaster. And so let me just put this out there as a, as a, as a, a thought for you this morning. This morning we, we, we've, we heard about the sin of pornography. And what some of you may not realize is the connection between that and things that would revolt all of us like sex trafficking. Total connection between the two, right? I don't even understand all the ways it works, but there's a connection, a big one between, between these two things. Here, here's the point. I, I, think, I think most of us in this room who've ever given in or struggled with this sin have felt guilt. And I pray that you've repented and, and asked his forgiveness and received his forgiveness and, and turned. But if this is a part of your life and it's become a habitual sin and even a, a sin that you don't even feel guilty for and, and you don't experience any discipline from the Lord over, that may be an indicator that you're not his. If there's no sense of, of like just the heaviness of God's hand on your heart, and you're and, and you're you're going home, and you're here, but you're planning on indulging in it some more this week, okay? I mean, you've got a you've got something downloaded or hidden away somewhere that you plan to go back to, okay? And and you don't there's no heaviness on your heart, or or you're not experiencing maybe even something greater like a cancer diagnosis or something, right? There, there's no discipline at all. That may be evidence that you need to get saved, right? He, he, he calls out and says, come to me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now, that doesn't mean he won't discipline you, right? But the, the offer of salvation is there for you. But, but it may, maybe you made a decision. You say, I walked forward in church. I prayed to receive Christ. But maybe there's just, you've given yourself over to sin, and if there's no discipline, maybe that's an evidence that if you died right now, you would, you'd split hell right open. And that you need to be saved. And you need to, you need to see God as, as, a, as, a, as a, a just, wrathful judge that has provided a place for you to run to for salvation. So, so flee and be saved, repent, and come to know Jesus. Now, I'm not saying Christians don't struggle with sin. We do, but when we do, we are disciplined. And so... If, on the other hand, you are experiencing God's discipline in your life, I, I pray that you'll be encouraged that it means you belong. He, he loves you as his child. And, and that, that suffering you're going through of discipline, there, there is a, a father's heart of love that grieves for the pain you feel, but knows that that is necessary to, to bring you back to himself. Does that make sense? So if you're experiencing God's discipline in your life, take heart, rejoice, even through the tears, and, 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 and endure because it means he loves you. You're his child. So God's discipline is fatherly, and his discipline is confirming that we're his children, and his discipline is for our good. And that is just so important that we 
believe that and that we understand that. His discipline is, is for our good. One pastor put it this way, discipline is the divinely ordained path to a deepening relationship with God and a growing love with him. Verse 9 says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So if, if God's hand has been heavy on you, or maybe you've just been suffering and, and struggling, remember this, weary pilgrim. His discipline in your life is indeed for your good. God's discipline is always for our good, and it is right in measure. Now, I find it interesting in verse 10, we, we, we see here, in, it says, as it seemed best to them, talking about father, a father's discipline. And I, I see an implication here that, that fathers, that we fathers, make mistakes at times in our discipline. And I think for the dads who are in this room, I think we, we know that our discipline of our own kids has not always been perfect. At times, perhaps, your discipline, my discipline of our children has been too severe. Right? Maybe you actually brought home angst from the office to, to, to your, your family and you were not patient. Or you did not discipline in, in gentleness and love. Or on the other hand, maybe, maybe there were times that your discipline was too passive. Maybe you were just lazy or, or too distracted to want to have to invest, and this has been me, to have to invest the time in, in disciplining a child. Well, God doesn't make mistakes. We all do as dads. If, if, if you're not the perfect dad, take heart. I'm not the perfect dad. There's only one perfect dad, one perfect father, the heavenly father. And he doesn't make mistakes in his discipline. His discipline is restorative. It says here, so that we may share his holiness. This means that God's discipline has purpose. In fact, great purpose. Without it, I wouldn't share in his holiness. I'll tell you what, I would go astray. The truth is, God loves me too much to let me have things my way, right? Where everything in life is easy. I get the abundant life now with no problems. You, you know how fast, how long it would take for my heart to grow cold towards him? For me to forget my need of dependence on him every day? If everything was just a success, if everything I touched turned to gold? If there are no obstacles? Well, God disciplines us so that we may share his holiness. That's quite, that's quite the thought, really. Second Peter 1.4 says that through Jesus, we are made partakers of the divine nature. Pastor Kent Hughes writes, the most holy of us are those who have properly endured the most discipline. So his discipline in our lives should provoke respect and not resentment. Well, last, under point one, is that God's discipline is both corrective and instructive. And, and you know, this is something that, that actually helped me this week as I was kind of looking at this text and, and wrestling through the right approach as we try to interpret suffering in our lives. 
and, and God's discipline in our lives. Uh, uh, kind of teasing out the Greek it, uh, really helped me better understand that sometimes God's discipline is corrective, but sometimes it's instructive. And, and so the, the Greek word for discipline throughout this text is a, is a word called paideia. And it actually has a, a richer meaning than the English word for discipline. The reason I say that is usually when, when we hear the word discipline, we, we always think, you know, like a spanking or, 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 or something that, that, that we get that is corrective because of a wrong that we've done. All right? Well, certainly God's discipline is often corrective. In fact, in this text, I think um, much of what he's talking about is corrective discipline. But, but, but the, the word here for discipline not only includes correction, but also instruction. And, and training, right? Think of military training or training for a, for a, a sports team where, where you have to discipline yourself and maybe you have a coach that disciplines you, right? Uh, for, and trains you for the battles that are gonna come and for the contests that lie ahead. And, and the whole word here, paideia, the idea here is that of a father raising a child that he delights in. That's the word Paideia. And so we should remember that, that not all discipline that comes from our Heavenly Father is because we've done something wrong. Instructive discipline might come to those who've done something right. Did you get that? So when you, account, when you face hardship at, that, that ultimately comes from a, a sovereign Father who is disciplining you, it, it may be that there is sin in your life that you need to repent from. But it might be that you've been doing something right, and he's training you so that you can be a sharper tool. Well, one, let's look at a couple examples in the Bible. An, an, an example of corrective discipline that probably comes to all of our mind right away would be David, right? Um, you know, the king, a man after God's own heart, and yet he gives into the sin of lust, which takes you further than you ever wanted to go, Right? makes you do things that you never thought you would do. And, and so as a result, you have a situation of, of adultery, maybe rape, and murder, and treachery, and treason from the, the man who's supposed to represent God to his people. So the Lord disciplines David in very strong terms. Okay? And, and of course, we, we have the fruit of that discipline in the Bible. We have Psalm 51, uh, a, a beautiful prayer of repentance. That I, I hope, I, I'm, I'm sure, I imagine most of you have spent many times going through Psalm 51. You should. I, I've Hundreds of times in my own life, I've had to read through it, repenting of sin to God. It's a beautiful blueprint of repentance. But there's other psalms in which David refers to God's hand of correction, of corrective discipline. In Psalm 119, Verse 67 and 71, David, David says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. So God's hand of corrective discipline took a, took a, a, a man after his own heart who, who was his child, who sinned mightily back into the fold, right? Back into his family to be used greatly 
A New Testament example of corrective discipline might be the Corinthians, who we read about in 1 Corinthians 11 were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were taking communion in an unworthy manner. And here's what we read. Paul writes, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Man, that sounds harsh. But that was indeed corrective discipline because of of a a corporate sin of taking communion in an unworthy manner. And when you look at the context, I mean, they they were were taking advantage of other people in communion. They were actually getting drunk during communion. I mean, there was some serious um, sin going on here uh, in the the aspect of communion, and and God wasn't going to have it. But then Paul says in verse 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So even God's harsh discipline with the Corinthians was restorative. It was for their good. Well, what about examples of instructive discipline? What comes to your mind? Anybody in in the Bible come to your mind? I thought of Job. Right? Job is a very interesting story. Uh, Job goes way back, maybe the first actual book chronologically, all right? Uh, And and so Job here experienced instructive discipline, not because he did something wrong, but because he did something right. We see in Job chapter 1 verse 8, and and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from from evil. Now, that, this is a, a very interesting story, and, and of course, the, the layers of context are peeled back for us, the readers. So we have information that Job didn't have as he was going through his suffering. That, that this was actually a great cosmological argument here, that Satan was accusing God of not being worthy of human love for who he was. So when Satan said, I'm, I'm going back and forth, right, uh, covering the earth, what Satan was trying to say is, I have dominion over the hearts of mankind. The people that you created to be in relationship with yourself, oh God, they love me, not you. So God points to Job. He says, oh yeah, here's my best man. Satan says, it's not because of who you are. It's because of the stuff you give him. So you, you, take, you take away that force field of protection, and you let me at him, and we'll see. He's going to curse you. Look at his split. So God's worthiness was on the line. Job didn't know that. And so there was something much greater going on than Job ever, ever got to see here. But you know what? Even though we know it was Satan afflicting Job and not God directly, who held Satan's leash? Who told Satan exactly what his limits were? The Lord did. The Lord was sovereign even over that. And so you know what? God was even using Satan's attacks for Job's instructive discipline. And as horrible as his experience was, 
he grew in the knowledge of God. At the end of Job, in Job chapter 42, verse 3, Job says, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. You see, we know that God restored Job, gave him another family, gave him his health, his wealth back, doubled it, you know, made it greater. But what Job really got out of his experience, beyond the, the suffering that he really experienced, I mean, he got a new family, but there was still the old one that he lost. He came to better understand God himself. In the New Testament, we see an example of instructive discipline with Paul's thorn in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. So again, Satan was the agent. We don't know what this thorn was. Some kind of physical malady that really bothered Paul. Some people may think it may have been um, um, some kind of an eye disease, okay? Uh, but it may have been something else. We really don't know. But, but here, even though it came from Satan, it was used by God as instructive discipline. He says, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So this, this discipline was not due to act of sin in Paul's life. We, we could call it preventative discipline. It was God's training regimen for Paul so that he would be more dependent and, and a more powerful tool for the advancement of the kingdom. So how do, you, how do you know the difference in your life if God's discipline is corrective or instructive? Well, I'd say that, that we learn, I think, over time. Oftentimes, we can, we can recognize timing uh, and patterns and, and even Holy Spirit conviction, right? Where you just know, yes, <laughs> this is God uh, correcting me, right? Sometimes we, we, we just know clearly, right? I remember the first fight Beth and I ever had. Some of you are suddenly woke up, interested in this. Um, not a physical one, mind you, by God's grace, we've never had one of those. But we've been married a couple months and our first real argument as a couple, young couple, I don't remember exactly what the topic was, I imagine she does, okay? Um, I don't, but I can tell you this, I was a heel, all right? And I was upset, and there were some kind of expectations that we all bring into marriage, and, and somehow we weren't meeting each other's expectations, and it was in the kitchen, and it was something that should have been very trivial, something I should have um, just covered over and, and loved her, and instead I was being critical, I do remember that part. And I remember she left unhappy, went into our room, and closed the door. And that's the first time there had ever been a door closed between us. And I think I was bustling about the kitchen, cleaning, kind of upset. And, and I went over to our little attic. Uh, there was, it, was, it was one of these attics that didn't have a fold-down step. It was just a big piece of plywood. And I had to get up on a little step ladder. And as I'm moving that piece of plywood over, the, plywood, the Lord um, uh, sent that piece of plywood straight down to where it dropped and landed right on the top of my foot, which was barefoot. Okay, so while... The synapses of pain were just starting to fire in my brain, and while I was literally in the air, um, jumping backwards, and just beginning to yelp, I knew 
that, that the Lord's hand, that was God spanking me. I, I, there was not a question in my mind. I knew God sent that piece of plywood right into my foot because I was being a knucklehead and I needed correction. All right, and, and by God's grace, she came out of the room and we were reconciled in about 10 seconds, you know. And I think I probably broke my foot. I mean, it hurt for a couple months, got better eventually, but I, there was no doubt that was corrective discipline. Well, what about a traffic ticket? Well, that might be easy. You might be, you know what? Yeah, maybe I need to learn something here. You know, these light things the Lord sends us to, to kind of straighten us up a little bit. But what about things like a cancer diagnosis? Is that corrective discipline? Or is it instructive discipline? Or is it just the fact that we live in a broken world and God didn't have anything to do with that? That's what a lot of Christians would want to say. God didn't want you to have cancer. You got to just believe strong enough that he doesn't want you to have cancer and you'll never get cancer. And if you get it, it's your fault for not believing that God only wants what's good for you. Well, there's something short-sighted in all that, okay? The the good of the real gospel is a whole lot more enduring than the good of the prosperity gospel, right? Which is just trying to keep you alive as long as possible, and somehow, you know, heaven doesn't really matter, right? Because it's supposed to be right now, right? So let's, let's get rid of that possibility and say whether it's from Satan, whether it's directly from God's hand, whether it's just part of living in a broken world, God is sovereign over everything that happens to you in your life, right? And so is that discipline, that, that, that terrible thing that you're facing, is that corrective? Is it because you've sinned? Or is it instructive because you've done something right, because you're, you're walking with him? Well, if you know that there is unconfessed sin in your life that is sabotaging your walk with God, Now's a good time to stop and repent. Just look back to the cross and look to the cross. It's not that you got to do penance or undo what you've done by doing more good. You can't. Jesus did it for you. So just look to the cross and confess your sins and know that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But maybe you don't know right away. Maybe like me, you do. And the Lord has just made it very clear by the timing, by the, 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 the type of discipline. It really kind of corresponds to an aspect of sin in your life, and you know. So don't be a knucklehead, right? Repent. But what if you're not sure? Well, maybe it is right to stop and ask the question, have I been harboring some kind of sin in my life that maybe I haven't recognized? Right? Maybe, maybe my heart's grown cold enough to where, where I've just been so influenced by the world around me that I just, I've had this sin, but I just haven't recognized it. Bitterness. Vanity. Pride. Maybe there's something I do need to confess. But if you're still not sure whether the, 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 whether the discipline is corrective or instructive, maybe the question to ask is, is Lord, what do you have for me to learn through this trial. Either way, be assured that your Heavenly Father loves you, and you can trust the Holy Spirit to guide you. So brothers and sisters, beware the danger of internal witch hunts. What I mean by that is that that we humans naturally look to blame ourselves when bad things happen. And, And worse, 
Sometimes Christians are prone to judge others when they experienced hardships. So we want to be careful not to be like the Pharisees who asked the question, who sinned? Did this man be born blind? This week, Morgan Wilde reminded me that, that we should be careful not to fall into the tendency to interpret hardships through a kind of retribution theology lens that Job's friends were prone to. That, that says that, hey, if you're thriving, that means God's favor is shining on you. And, and if you're suffering, that means God's judgment on you. I mean, that's a big piece of the book of Job, how those guys got it wrong. So remember, God doesn't punish Christians because he's angry at them, but he disciplines them lovingly for their good. So the words of the song are true, even in the midst of suffering. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Thus endeth point one. But take heart, brothers and sisters, point two and three are really quick. All right, point two is this. You don't have to like it. You, you should be thankful for it, but you don't have to enjoy suffering. All right? God, God hasn't called a bunch of pious, fake pretenders, right, or sadists. And, and sometimes we can lean there to, to actually think we have to pretend to like the discipline. You don't have to enjoy it. In fact, it says here, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Not, not only corrective discipline, but instructive discipline, right? Tim, I hope I don't embarrass you here, but my son Tim groans when he's done, like, mowing the yard, and I say, and he comes in and says, hey, Dad, I'm done, and I'm like, and I say, all right, let's go check your work. Well, why do you groan, Tim? Because it's not a whole lot of fun, right, to have to, I may find something you didn't do right and ask you to do it again, right? Uh, who likes instructive discipline, really? I mean, this is why we hang signs in school gyms that say things like, winners train, losers complain, right? Because we're tempted, even when we're doing instructive discipline, we're, we're growing, we're training, it's hard, right? But what we do it, we endure it, we grow through it because it brings about a greater good. But how much more? Do we not like corrective discipline? I mean, kids, how many of you enjoy spankings? Anybody here? I can tell you I did not. Somebody rose their, lifted their hand in here. Um, good on him. Was that, was that, was that, uh, was that? Okay, good on, good on you. Um, I didn't, okay. Um, I can tell you I never enjoyed a spanking as a kid. Dr. Moeller writes, not all things are good but all things are for the good and edification of those who love God. In Romans chapter 8, Paul describes that God is working all things for the good of believers. This doesn't mean that we need to be thankful for the development of tumors or other tragic things that happen. These aren't things for which we should ask or pray. Yet even in difficult situations, God is working for our good. So you don't have to enjoy God's discipline. And this is our last point, number three, but you should learn from it. Learn from it. We see back in verse five here, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. And so we see two responses, two false extremes here to discipline. The first would be blowing it off, blowing off the discipline of the Lord, disdaining it. 
And, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, that would be like, kind of like stoicism, right? This idea where suffering happens, discipline happens, and you say, everyone suffers. The, the more you lower your expectations, the better life will be for you. And so, this perspective attributes God's discipline to chance and, and seeks to kind of ignore it. Well, the, the other extreme would be to get blown away by it, right? It says, do not be weary when reproved by him. And so, this would be like a defeatism or a, a falling into dismay. The sky is falling, just being overwhelmed by the hardship, losing sight of what lies ahead, and that's heaven. And frankly, a lot of wonderful answers to prayer that we experience in this life, too. Remember that God is in control. Your Father is in charge. Not the devil, not chance, but your Father who loves you. Now, maybe you've experienced great pain in your life or great loss, and and when that happens, it's easy to fall into dismay. How could God really love me and allow this? Well, Dr. Muller, I think, answers that very well by pointing us to the cross. He writes, Christians question how God can work for good through horrifying loss. Yet God was working for our good in the gruesome death of His Son. If ever we doubt God's love because of our circumstances, we can look to the cross and remind ourselves that God gave us his own son so that we might in turn become sons of God. You might be tempted to think, that's, that's just too much. I, I can't take this anymore. Um, I'm done. Well, the truth is God will never let you be blown away by his discipline. He wrote to the Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you this morning, let's believe, let's endure, let's grow through God's discipline. What is God teaching me right now in my suffering? Are my eyes on Christ? Do I really belong to Him? Am I living in dependence on Him? Am I living a life that is pleasing to Him? These are good questions to ask ourselves when we encounter His discipline. But verse, 13, or verse 11 here concludes by assuring us that God has a great end in mind for us through discipline. Mystery Ben writes, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. One writer talked about this peace, this shalom, by, by saying it's not only quietness of soul, but wholeness. It is heaven's peace experienced now in an unpeaceful world. That's what he has in mind for you through his discipline. So how do we, let's zoom out for a moment as we, as we land the plane here. Um, you know, at first when I, when I saw this passage, when I started reading through it, I, I tried to figure out how does this fit with the greater argument here of Hebrews 12, which is all about the, the race of endurance, right? I mean, suddenly he's talking about discipline, and it almost seemed like a random tangent to me. But actually, the more I looked at it, the more I talked about it, I, I saw that this text gives us more context 
for why Christians should endure suffering. You see, we believe that God is sovereign over all the experiences in our lives, both the blessings and the hardships. And so, as we saw last week, some hardships may indeed be persecution from others, motivated by Satan. Some hardships that we see here in this text may be direct discipline from the Lord. But either way, the Lord uses them for our good and, and for His glory, and the discipline of our Heavenly Father helps us to better know Him and to make Him known. So, how, how should you respond this morning? Well, with respect and submission to God as your Heavenly Father, and with a renewed focus, I pray, on Christ as you run your race of endurance. Let's bow together uh, uh, to Him. And we're going to prepare our hearts after I pray. Um, let me encourage you to continue in, in prayer in your own heart as we prepare our hearts for a time of communion. Uh, our musicians will, will play a little bit of music here. During that time, I hope you will truly examine your heart. Maybe His discipline has been on you and you have not been paying attention. You've been blowing it off, all right? Or maybe you've been overwhelmed by suffering. Examine your heart. Look to Him. Maybe there's an area of, of, of sin that, that you need to confess so that you can come before Him with a clean heart in communion. And let me just say this in light of our, of our ABF theme this morning. Uh, I'm just going to make it real specific here, all right? This is a category that won't apply to everyone, but it will apply to some. If, if this last week, let's say you, you did something online that was sinful, you can confess that to the Lord and take communion in it, with a pure heart right now, right? You can, but, that, but that's not if you're planning to go back and do it again next week. Or even if you're keeping a little contingency somewhere that maybe in the back of your mind you know you'll go back to it this week. If that's the case, don't take communion. You don't have that right. You'll be taking it in an unworthy manner. Does that make sense? So if, if you have confessed your sin to the Lord and you've already confessed it to someone else, or if you plan to confess it to someone else, you have permission to take communion. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are sovereign in our lives. And even when we suffer as your children, we know that you're working for our good and for your glory. Give us a heart for your glory, oh Lord. Give us a desire to reflect your light. But as we've been reminded, Lord, we can't reflect your light if, if, if our hearts are dirty. And so we thank you for the cross of Christ who makes even the greatest sinner clean. Thank you for the gospel. Oh, Lord, help us to walk in newness of life. Lord, as, as we prepare for a time of communion, Lord, I pray that if there's a, a brother or sister in this room who truly doesn't know you, maybe they thought they did because of a profession of faith in the past or a life experience, but they haven't been walking with you. Uh, they've been living for themselves. Lord, um, Lord, if today's the day that you would um, uh, shine conviction in their hearts, Lord, I pray that you would, you would draw them to yourself today. Lord, or maybe there's someone in this room who does know you, but they've been, their heart's grown cold. They've allowed sin to come in and fester. Lord, I pray that right now would be a time in which they would confess that and, and, and receive your Spirit's work in their life. Lord, may we truly commune with you in truth right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.